0: Welcome to Killer Women, with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to Killer Women podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air global network with more than 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author, Danielle Girard, and my guest today is CJ Cook. Carolyn is an award-winning poet and novelist published in twenty three languages. She teaches creative writing at the University of Glasgow, where she is also where she also researches the impact of motherhood on women's writing and creative writing interventions for mental health. Welcome, Carolyn. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course I'm so thrilled to have you. So before we get into all the fun themes and things you work you talk about in your writing can you tell our listeners about a haunting in the arctic?
1: Certainly a haunting in the arctic is a gothic ghost story that um it, it has two different timelines one is in the present day and is set in Iceland and the 1901 narrative takes place in Dundee in Scotland. Well, we leave Dundee on uh, a whaling ship and we set sail for Greenland. Well, you you mentioned in your acknowledgements that you're
0: you're not obviously a, a historical boat, um, you know, expert. So it's, it, it there's an interesting start to this story. Tell us um, kind of how it came to be.
1: Um, you mean the inspiration for the story or the the start of the narrative?
0: the inspiration for the story
1: certainly well I um yeah I mean there's there's a there's a few origin points I think but um I mean I've been to Iceland before and I was I was just really really interested in writing about that kind of territory and I explored kind of derelict buildings when I was a child so I I was really interested in writing about kind of a uh well first of all I was going to set this in a sort of derelict mansion but it ended up being a shipwreck i thought a shipwreck's just such a wonderful there's so much story in a in a place like that or in a site like that and i was really interested in getting the the explorers and the contemporary narrative to kind of peel back the layers of history uh and all that story that remains within the shipwreck so and i was really interested as well in writing about uh the whaling industry the way it was but it's such a masculine kind of um, industry and narrative. And I really wanted to tell the story of a woman. Um, This woman in my mind was on this ship, but I couldn't figure out why she was on this ship, especially with it being a whaling ship. And then it came to me what she was doing there. And I thought, oh God, um, that's right. Okay. I've got to write that.
0: Yes. So it's interesting too, because there's so much superstition that goes along with ships and, Ships are oftentimes referred to as women, but as you said, there's it's a very sort of masculine industry. So there was a really nice sort of already conflict um, that started the story. So, um, you know, the, you in your acknowledgments, you talk about how, you know, memory and trauma are themes of many of your books. And I wanted to sort of dig into that because I did, um, obviously, this story has a lot of roots in those two in those two things as well so tell us sort of why that resonates with you what are you interested in sort of unpeeling as you write, you write about those things
1: yeah um I think it's, it's such an interesting thing I've just moved to rooms because the other room the storm is getting too loud um oh, oh. sorry yeah we from we your background been... you haven't moved at all I was like yeah, I know geez. I have a this is like a zoom background so yeah I doesn't... know I love it it's <laughs> beautiful <laughs> um Yeah I am really interested in telling women's stories and um, it's interesting because I kind of I write standalone novels but with each novel I have found so far that when I do research for that particular book it kind of leads to something another story that I'm interested in so I go on to write and I think in the course of writing the previous novels the Lighthouse Witches which looked at um, the Scottish Witch Trials and then the Ghostwoods which is been published in the UK already but it's coming out in the US next year and that okay. book that one looked or looks at um, the history of mother and baby homes and I think that the more kind of of these stories that I tell the more I realize that women have been written out of history and I, I just feel compelled to write that story um, I think a lot of the sort of heroes in my life have been women but they're you know, the reasons for them being heroes, have, have, it's been sort of invisible. And I I guess I'm just really interested in writing about those stories and those untold stories and those silenced stories. Yeah, and this, I mean, this is a,
0: um, the woman on the ship is, abs- you know, like you said, absolutely sort of a, um, she's definitely a silent uh, hero, right? I mean, she's, her family yeah. doesn't know she's on that boat and, um you know, Anyway, I'm not going to spoil it. You have to read it. It's so well done. So you know, let's talk about trauma, right? I mean, I think that the you know you're somebody who's sort of in the mental health field. It sounds like in your, um, but trauma is something that you know that can bury itself so deep in us, and um, and and then it sort of just sneaks up, and unless it's dealt with, it's always there, right? So what sort of what has led you down that the path to, to sort of investigating trauma?
1: um so you're you're quite right. I work as an academic as well, and part of what I do is i I teach creative writing at the University of Glasgow. And my research looks at creative creative writing for trauma because I think a long time ago I realized that what drives me to write and I've been writing since I was a seven year old child maybe even younger um but I think what has always driven me to write is a way of processing trauma. Writing is, is this, I grew up in a really violent household um, within a very violent social context because I was growing up in Belfast during the troubles in a very, very poor area where people were getting, you know, thrown out of their houses for being the wrong religion, et cetera. Um, And I, you know, I needed a way, I think, to process what was going on. And I really turned to writing, not just journaling, but actual creative writing. And there's a I I think there's a real power that comes with creating something and telling stories. And I suppose the more I've written into that space of trauma, the more I'm interested in recovery. And to me, without giving any spoilers, this is a story of someone who I wanted to tell a ghost story, but really to think about uh, haunting. In a way that um, is about sort of psychological hauntings and things that stay with us, um, and to think about recovery as very, very non-linear, uh, you know. And this story, to me, is there is a recovery, if you like, at the end of someone who has experienced trauma, but it takes a very, very long time for them <laughs> to to overcome it, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think I I, I really have to be real in my writing and I don't want to shy away from these things that, um, you know, trauma and trauma narratives are, as anyone knows who's experienced anything that has really impacted them negatively, you don't get over it quickly. And if even if it seems that you do, there's a relapse and there's a regression and that recovery, I think, you know, the honest kind of depiction of it is what interests me. And I love writing complex characters. And often those characters have have lived through a lot. So that's what I was really interested in writing.
0: Yes, the characters have lived through a lot. Well, and and the power of, you know, it's an interesting thing. We all have trauma, right? Yeah. Little T, big T trauma. Um, And the idea of, you know, journaling, of course, everyone recommends that. But it is interesting, and I hadn't really thought about it, that when you can write creatively, you sort of get to rewrite the story. You get to give people... A reason for being violent yeah. or angry, and you yeah. get to sort of understand the trauma in a new way and perhaps yeah. let go of that yeah
1: i I I've, through the course of my research, I find that there's this kind of um thought process that you know writing creatively is all about creating a product, whereas writing mm-hmm. sort of expressively and journalistically is about the process. but I don't agree. I think that um there's a real value in the process of writing creatively for trauma. Um, And it doesn't even have to be conscious that you sit down to write, I'm going to process my trauma. Um, It it all comes through. I think the self always shows up on the page. Mm -hmm. So when you've gone through some stuff, it will come through in your writing, no matter what genre you're writing. Um, And you're not sitting thinking about the product you're thinking about, you know, the, the process and the characters and, And actually, in terms of the so-called product, I think it can be such a comforting thing to feel like you have made something of the material that you have, you know, um, that you can maybe share and maybe it'll be useful to someone. I think those are enormously positive things. Um, Writing is such an act of hope and courage. So um, yeah, I'm all for it. And, And if anything, I think writing creatively can protect you a little from sometimes being re-triggered by things that you've gone through yeah it's interesting so for the first I you know I published 16
0: books for the first time I'm writing about something that happened to me I'm just in the process of a divorce after finding out my husband had a very long affair um and it is interesting I'm writing a book about a woman you know in a long marriage I've never brought my thriller life so close to my own home and it is or to my own heart and it is a really interesting process it's quite hard um it's much harder to bring something so close I feel like but it is also very powerful so I yeah. it's a very it's a really different experience for me and it's um it's interesting there's a theme in the book that I that I love very much uh, sort of the push pull between you know our sort of human desire to take revenge on somebody who has hurt us and yeah. therefore, though, stay in the trauma, right? When you when you yeah. cling to the you know to the idea of making someone pay for something, um, you end up staying in the trauma. And then the other the opposite is of course to forgiving of someone, and then therefore letting go, which frees you know both the person who you want to take revenge on, but also yourself. Um, yeah. And I feel like that is a really I want you to talk about that theme because that is an that is a huge theme in the book, um, and also a very sort of I think, relevant theme for all of us in in all the little ways we feel we've been wronged. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I. So there's a again, I don't think this is a a spoiler, but there's a there's a cage in in this story and that, um, you know, it was very much it it was sort of an object when I was writing that 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 came up. And I thought, oh, there's something about this. It's quite significant. but it just seemed as well to to represent the kind of um way that this particular character was trapped, and they couldn't move forward. And it is very much, as you say, about that impulse to seek revenge. But actually that impulse traps you within that moment. Um, <coughs> excuse me, and doesn't allow that person to to get past it. So, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah this this is a a revenge story as well as you say but it's it's interesting how that is just a trapping entombing kind of um impulse
0: yeah the cage which is a brutal cage because it has spikes on the inside
1: yeah um, yeah is
0: a very it's a very good metaphor for the idea that know we we do damage to ourselves as well by being by holding on to these things that happen to us there's there's also a lovely quote um that i tagged on page 330 um her this is a from the point of view of nikki on the boat and she's thinking of her daughter um she said finally my thoughts turned to morag is that how you pronounce her name yeah um that's her daughter and it burns me the guilt of it how can i ever make it right the effects of guilt are stronger than any haunting it changed me over and over and over again which i think is another really to, you know the power of that guilt and how do we let go similarly right how do we let go of our guilt over things that have happened to us in our lives or things we feel responsible for
1: yeah yeah again the the sense of of her being changed by it just the, the different sort of iterations that of a person that can come through guilt yeah I I was thinking about of a lot a lot of things that you know that really stop you growing as a as a person and this is a quite a heavy book um but you know I I felt as soon as I knew what the woman was doing in that boat I just thought I have to go there you know the, these are the the things that she's experienced and and I think also in a way I'm maybe responding you know there's a lot going on in the world right now that I thought you know I, I don't know that I can write a happy book this time around because well n- none of my books are happy but you know <laughs> I just thought I thought you know th- this the darkness here is, is coming from a place of just shock and I'm processing a lot of what's going on right now in our planet on our planet so
0: Exactly. Well, and I i don't think it's, it's a dark book. I mean, I think I can imagine, this is my first CJ cookbook, but I can imagine that you are a dark writer, but I, I don't think it's pessimistic. I think there's optimism um, yeah. throughout, you know, I think it really is about sort of, you know, looking at yourself and deciding sort of what you're hanging on to and what you're able to let go of. And then, you know, how you work, how you work through that. And yeah. with that, there's also sort of the theme of, a motherhood in the book, um, not just you know, actual mothers and children, although obviously Nikki has a daughter, uh, you know, whom she's lost, which we learned pretty easy, pretty soon in the book, um, but also people that become sort of surrogate mothers, right? Like, yeah. like she does on the boat for you know, for sort of one of the young men. So, that's another thing that is an interesting theme for you, and I think probably comes naturally. I'm assuming you are a mother, um, yeah, <laughs> that sort of. Yeah. I think that's another thing to explore and it's, it's, off, it's a, you know, that is a, a natural source of some, you know, some very heavy emotions within us, right? The idea that you yeah. have brought this baby. So did that, did the sort of extension of your, your writing and your research about motherhood come from, you know, becoming a mother and, and tell us a, sort of a little bit more about that. Cause I think that's fascinating yeah, that, as well.
1: Absolutely. um Yeah. I, I, I think also it, it I think becoming a mother, you know, I've always been a feminist, but when I became a mom, um, I thought, wow, the world really it, it seems different. I'm—I'm I'm viewed differently as a mother. I—I I, mm-hmm. I sensed a shift in—in in not just it wasn't a psychological shift really. It was more the institution of motherhood and what I was now part of. I thought, wow. This this is this is quite uh I feel like I've time traveled to a <laughs> distant point in the past. Yeah um, I still get this, just you know, I, I even as a writer, I remember, you know, people would say, Oh, you're a mother, how do you juggle your writing with your work? Or with with your children, sorry. Um my husband never gets asked those questions. I She's, know. Like, I know, right? Exactly. This? It's bizarre and and just just so many moments you know, as a mother confronting the, the sort of institution of motherhood and thinking, God, you know, we really need to look at this because it doesn't seem that we have moved on very much. Um, so I think I think all of that has very much fueled my writing, um, both in terms of my relationship with my children, uh, but, you know, the institution of motherhood and, and how that functions in society and how I feel about it. I think you know there's a terrible lot of silence, um, a lot of things that I, you know, didn't know and wonder why we don't know more about it, why we haven't talked about it, and yeah, and I, and I think it's it's not a the answer is not a small one, it's massive, and you know even in recent years, as I've been approaching perimenopause and I've been thinking why? all the fun stuff, yeah. <laughs> Why, have I not, why is this not talked about like yeah motherhood menopause these things are not new so why are they not like more prevalent and we are getting of course we are getting more women's stories and we are talking more about motherhood and menopause but still god mm. when I became a mother 17 years ago man it was uh, a whole new planet right right <laughs> really, yeah, it it just made me a you know very much a feminist. If I was a feminist before, it made me even more strong about it because I thought there's a reason that we we don't know more about this. So yes, yes, I, I think that the
0: thing about it um is the idea that I know of course some of the some of the, I believe I should say that that some of the way that the motherhood is treated is of course a, a symptom of the patriarch, right? The men are in charge in mo- in, in m- many powerful. More, most powerful positions are occupied by, you know, basically white men, right? I mean, that's sort of the structure of the world, Um, and um, and certainly men themselves. But there's also this idea that's interesting is that, and I I, is that I also was like, I had the idea that I would always have a career, I would always, you know, do X, Y, Z because I was, you know, a strong woman and I wanted that. But motherhood also shifts for, I think for us, right? It, it takes yeah. all of a sudden you have something that is more, more valuable. Yeah, I mean, really literally, like you would do anything for this thing that no longer lives inside your body, which is terrifying. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if men, if that society puts that, puts that on us, like, is that some, is, are we, because we're the women, we're the mothers, it is, yeah. you know, is that put on us to be the ones who are sort of feel more and are more responsible and and you know and take the primary parenting role or is that something that develops in us because we grow them or because we're biologically more nurturing or you know so that's kind of an interesting push pull too
1: well i think you know of course those those instincts and those impulses are are there and um all the time and and of course but women's work has been so devalued that we just don't have a say in the matter that mm. you know in the us for instance i was because i remember when i was to take maternity leave and i one of my jobs was only four weeks full pay but then i learned in the us that there's no maternity leave and i was like wait what yeah surely that's gonna make a lot of women just leave their careers leave their job which it does it Um, does and it's it's beyond me, but yeah, we we just we just don't really get a say. I think we we end up doing the double or triple shift, um, and we have to develop these sort of super superhuman capabilities, but at great cost to ourselves. Yeah. Um, but I think that fundamentally, women's work, including writing, has traditionally been seen as invisible, unpaid. We do it for the love of it, et cetera. And really, if the shoe was on the other foot, I think if if, if it was the man giving birth and the man with those maternal instincts, I think the world would be completely different. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a- it is, yeah, it is interesting. And I think you're absolutely
0: right. We, you know, and and for some reason, we end up going along with it. And maybe it is something that sort of inter- is internalized, right? That we're, yeah. That motherhood is... You know that it is sort of you know not valued and so therefore you know you have to find you have to sort of say you do it for the love of it because otherwise you know there's no way to sort of justify the, what we're doing right what we're how we're spending our time
1: you're also exhausted we're yeah so exhausted that you're just trying to you know keep your head above water at certain points of of parenting um, and yeah. But it's it is exhausting trying to, to to juggle it all and trying to tackle a patriarchy. I have three daughters, um, and they they laugh because I'm like, just don't have children. Like, and, <laughs> and I'm I'm referring to I'm referring to the institution. They know that. Like, yeah. I, I adore my children, and I have a son as well. But um, I I'm just like you know the institution of motherhood is is really tough on women. And yeah. I don't think it's fair and I don't think it's moved on enough so I yeah want you, to, you know just live your I life think- and don't feel you have to have kids or adhere to any kind of gender roles yeah and I think I think this generation
0: of young women I have a my daughter's 24 and I think she and I have a younger son but I think she thinks a lot about whether or not she wants she certainly doesn't want the kind of you know yeah motherhood experience that I had where you know the bulk of it did definitely fall on me and you know if I needed coverage I had to ask for it versus if my husband needed coverage he just went off and did whatever he wanted to do so um and at the time you know you justify it by being like well you know he has the sort of the more professional job and he's you know but it really is just an excuse we make for ourselves to you
1: know uh,
0: are they that we they, they make for themselves that we accept so it isn't yeah, yeah, it isn't yeah. valued, yeah,
1: it's, it's for real. like i I was always the breadwinner um in our marriage. I was the one with a professional job, and yet I still my husband's really great, I should say, like he is really great in that he's you know, like, no, 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 you go do your thing. it It's me though feeling oh no, but i I can't, you know, I can't do it and i I, I you know, and i I make life hard for myself a lot of the time because I It is internalized. so Yeah,
0: it's that guilt. It's the guilt thing. But it's also, it's internalized, but it's also taught, right? I mean, it's like this famous sort of Oprah show about the stay-at-home moms versus the working moms and this incredible animosity where what we really should be doing is saying, if that's what works for you, that's awesome. You know, this is what works for me. It's different than that. But instead, and that is, I think that animosity is fostered by the patriarch right it's we're taught to fight there's only one way to do it you know
1: absolutely I I I mean I um I finished my PhD when I was in my mid-20s and then had an academic post and then I had kids but the guilt that I had about going back to work about continuing to work when some of my friends were stay-at-home moms I was like I really felt like just terrible and my mom had been a stay-at-home mom my grandmother being a stay-at-home mom my mother-in-law had done the same and I just felt like I was this you know I was damaging my children which is you know a total lie I, I wasn't right. like, all healthy and happy and everyone's fine but yeah and I, you I, empowered them probably
0: I mean that's the, the reality is that by doing sort of by taking care of yourself in some little way which we can argue a, a career is or is not depending on sort of why but yeah. You know, but you're actually teaching them that that it's okay to put yourself. There's this idea that selfishness is bad, particularly in women. Right? We're not supposed yeah. to be selfish, and yeah. yet it's it's what feeds us, right? We need to have. If we don't have those things that that I that are for ourselves. Then yeah. you know, who, what are what are we? You know, what do we have to show our children for sort of what we've done? And I'm not saying that stay-at-home moms aren't incredibly yeah. valuable, but if, if you're a mother who really has nothing of her own you know then I think that's a first of all I think that's brutal that is you know that is so hard and secondly I don't know that that teaches our children particularly our girl children but also our boy children I don't think it necessarily teaches everybody what what it is to sort of have some you know have something that matters to you
1: I know I, I think, you know, those early days of motherhood, certainly I, I know that I struggled a lot with guilt and a lot of ah. you know, what am I doing to my children that's going to affect them forever. Me right too, right. Even to breastfeeding, the guilt that I had. Ah. I wasn't ever able to breastfeed for more. The maximum was eight weeks. There was always some terrible complication It was terrible. But, yeah. Um, and I, I, I really beat myself up. Even now, it's a sore, like sensitive thing. I, yeah. I can't I can't get past it even though rationally you know right. I'll say to anyone you do not need to breastfeed just do right. what is the fed baby it doesn't matter but right you know I, I still have this mm-hmm. thing that oh I did not breastfeed for a year so
0: <laughs> oh I know and that isn't I mean I remember that even from the medical professionals when I gave birth to my daughter just the you know absolute focus on this is the only way you know your baby gets what. <laughs> he or she needs and and it is I mean of course breastfeeding is great if you can do it it's just like eating organic or not cutting out sugar but it's not realistic for every person in every situation and lots of women I know for instance couldn't breastfeed at all. Like they No I know I know or a baby wouldn't latch and then you do you spend all this time and then a child gets a cold and you think well that's because I didn't breastfeed. Right. I mean that's that's the and these are the stories we tell ourselves that that make us that just feels that's such such a heavy burden to, for us to carry and oh, we don't God. talk about it because there's like you said there's so much shame well i right. couldn't do this or i mean my dad was an ob-gyn he's, he's passed away now um but i was the first to have a baby i'm the oldest and so and he said the whole time i you know my doctor was his partner but he said the whole time we're not inducing you no matter what because you're not going to have a cesarean section you're going to have a vaginal birth blah, blah, blah. This was like the, that was the the thing you had to strive for. So what happened? Of course I had a C-section, a cesarean because I never would have dilated. I would have died. And, you know, I would have been one of those women who died in childbirth. And yet, you know, it became such a source of shame for me that I I had to have a cesarean section. And then, you know, I had two cesarean sections and then my sister had a cesarean section. And we were just like, "Is Murphy's law. He just put that on us. We thought, oh, we can't we we have to do it this way. And yeah. it was literally something I still feel sensitive about, you know, yeah, that there's right. some experience of going through the
1: birth canal that would have made my children, you know, yeah. happier, healthier adults. Well, honestly, a friend of mine, she breastfed her children for like two years each. And I always thought, oh, that's so beautiful and wonderful. I wish I could have done that. But she had cesareans and she had the same thing that she felt like she wished she could have had my sort of birth. And I was like, I think I would have, now that I know my pelvic floor is wrecked, I, I, think I should have had cesareans because if I'd known how much it wrecks your pelvic floor.
0: So, I yeah. mean, it's you know. true.
1: There's, and then that's an, another thing I think
0: that we, you know, you think about like being in a car accident or, or, you know, falling down a set of stairs and hurting your knee. And we go, then we do all this physical therapy that comes, but when yes. you have a baby, which is an incredible process on your body, Nobody yep. talks about how to like strengthen the muscles that got weakened or bring the stomach muscles back together. I mean, nope. that is stuff we just don't even touch. And it's just nope. now people are starting to discuss the fact that, wow, there's a lot that goes on in a woman's body during pregnancy. Yes. And maybe we should look at how she recovers. I mean, yeah, you think? Right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it is really to your point. It's really, it is really interesting. And I, I, I told, I, I love the fact that you, deal with some very hard women issues in this um you know in this book and 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 you know it sounds like in all your stories because I do think like you said and feminist has a you know I'm a feminist it has sort of a a a little bit of a sort of spiky you know meaning for people like they get it's not that we're saying we're anti-men I don't think we're saying that you know I mean I have a son I love I have brothers and you know even my ex-husband I these are wonderful men in many ways but I do yeah. think we have there's people standing up for them all the time nobody is standing up right not not as many people are standing up for us
1: no um, absolutely that's that's all it is like you're right because even like you give birth and then someone literally I am I was home within with some of my kids well one of them was born at home but sometimes I was home from the hospital within like eight hours And then someone hands you a baby. Take care of this baby now that you've just given birth. When I had my first child, so I'd moved to England quite recently. I didn't didn't have any of my family around, uh, just my husband. And so I came home. I was sent home from hospital 24 hours after she was born. And my mother-in-law, who was married to my uh, father-in-law, she was from Azerbaijan and she could not believe that I was home expected to care for this baby do everything because in her culture uh you, you stay in bed for 40 days after you give birth and you all the women take care of everything else they make the meals they bring you food they look after any other children that you have they clean the house and they bring the baby to, ah, you to be, take the baby away and, and you recover yes. as the baby gets nourished um and i thought yeah that would be nice <laughs> that sounds ideal Exactly. And it's the other thing I think is so interesting is the idea of like, and I don't know how it
0: works over there, but here, you know, you take this, there's like a, they offer these birthing classes, right? It's like 12 weeks or something. You go once a week for an hour and it's all about labor, right? So for me, of course, it was in the end, there's like, I think there's one hour at the end or maybe a little less about breastfeeding. The rest of it is about the labor and how you're going to get through labor. And yet, of course, I ended up having this, Two cesarean sections and I thought where is the course that tells me how how to survive once that baby's born until I get the hang of how to you know what her cries mean and being sleep deprived and it is such an isolating experience it is so and and yet you know at least in this country sounds like your mother-in-law's country is that sounds perfect but in this country and I think in a lot of you know European um, countries as well we have not figured out how to no. support women in those early stages and it's you know it's it's this, it's the precursor of so many
1: issues for, for children growing up right I mean yeah.
0: the stress yeah. of it is
1: it's it's terrible I mean yeah I I completely agree i looking back and this is what motivates me to say to my daughters just don't have kids right because- <laughs> They 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 want it like one of my daughters yes. she, spoke about, she wants to adopt so they know the spirit like we have really great banter but my one of my daughters she wants to adopt and I'm like I will be there I will I will be on hand I will give yeah. you all the stuff you need because I didn't get that and yeah. I do not know how I got through that but I know I'm not the only woman so many women are in these really isolating I mean my husband had to go back to work he had a week off maternity leave. Yeah. And then he had to go back to work. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I, what do I do? I've got yeah, this- I was
0: like, don't leave me alone with this baby. Yes. I, I just cried and cried because I was so overwhelmed. Same. And, Same. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is really, it's just a very, I mean, I think it is. It's a really isolating thing. We don't really talk about and And how it's a, I mean, it's funny that it's such a wonderful thing. And like you said, you adore your children. I adore my children. But mm. it's also just trauma. That's a traumatic experience to have a, yes. chi- a child and, imagine that they're so, they look so fragile, although they're much more, they're much hardier than they look. But it is yeah. a really isolating and 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 terrifying experience. And I think um, it's just so important for us to talk about it. And I, I really appreciated, um, you know, the way that you did. And I also think it's interesting, you know, like, for instance, in the way that um, um, Nikki's husband, Alan, deals with the loss of the baby so differently, right? It's her guilt. She's yeah. the one that seems to have the guilt about it, even though really, you know, they were both. I mean, they're both tra- they're both horror- traumatized, of course, but um, it is just a di- it's a it's a different onus put on her as the mother. Yeah. So.
1: yeah, I think I think there very much is, and I I still see that, like even in schools, there's been a few times where um we've had meetings two of my children are autistic and my husband's got along for a meeting and then there's been a form that he has to sign and they're like oh no we'll get your wife to sign this and he's like but what why does right right why does the mother have to sign it like who said
0: it's right isn't that it is it's really it is a very there's just a lot of things we need to sort of under like explore and and change because it is not the system doesn't work It doesn't work for anybody if it doesn't work for the mothers then it doesn't work for the children
1: right and it doesn't work for the fathers like there's such an imbalance and it does no one any good i think we Uh we need to get that right but we're i think we're slowly slowly inching forward but sometimes we're sliding backwards but yeah um yeah. yeah i know there's certainly things that have changed in my experience as a mother you know from when my mom was was a mother of course are are good so yeah
0: um, they're we're inching inching along inching um, along
1: yeah
0: inching or maybe a little less than inching centimetering along um this this was so fun carolyn to talk about um i really appreciate and and there is um you know the sort of super you know there's some supernatural um or, you know, it's hard to it's hard to argue if it's in her head, right? I mean, there's some really powerful stuff that happens. and the the boat, and the, you know, we didn't talk about the boat, the fact that the boat, uh, this old whaling boat ends up in Iceland, and then there's a new cast of characters um, that go to visit it before it's sort of permanently sunk. and um, the yeah. really, in the dead of winter, it's um you do a very beautiful job of the sort of desolation of that. Um, you know, environment and and how that can make people, you know, the dark and the cold, yeah. and how it can make make people feel a little insane, which I thought was super powerful. So
1: yeah. um, I enjoyed it so much. Oh, I'm so pleased to hear that. That's good. I, I just, I wanted to create that sort of atmosphere and I wanted to, you know, I, I love stories that transport me. And I, I wanted to create a sense of, you know, being in that remote part of Iceland, which I travel to actually uh to to do research but it was it was really great to to see that and to imagine it in the depths of winter when it's full of dangerous um i was gonna
0: say i hope you didn't go in the depths of winter because that did not look super pleasant
1: no, Iceland is full on dangerous, like in in winter, and even when there's no volcano. But um, the I mean, because we went, my husband came with me, and um, we went in June, but we still had to hire a you know pretty souped up four by four, and the road uh was was just a gravel track for sixty kilometers off oh the God. side of a of a mountain. Like any kind of wrong turns, and we would have been down in the ditch. So it was it was yeah. um. But it's it's fabulous. Iceland's wonderful and it's got so much history to it as well. So yeah I wanted to make sure that I, I did I researched that and spoke to it appropriately and then the history yeah. of as well. I wanted to, to create that feeling of being on the ship when it was. Yes sailing.
0: which you did Um, I thought beautifully and what a hard existence that would be as well. So yeah, um, yeah. anyway it was a, it was super fun and um really a very powerful read. So Thank Thank you you for joining us today. Everybody, this was Killer Women with C.J. Cook. And um, I'm sure she has, this is not her first novel, so there's lots of fun things to read, but um, A Haunting in the Arctic, Arctic is her latest and fabulous book. Thank you so much for joining us.